If you were with us last week, you know we started our fall series in Nehemiah. So today is the second part of that. If you missed the first one, you are welcome to listen to it on our, our website. And, and the same as we go through this entire series. If you miss one, they're always there for you to, to catch up. Or if you listened and thought, man, did he really say that? You can go back and find out if I really said that or not. But anyway, it's 446 B.C. It's early December. It's in a city called Susa, which is the winter palace of the Persian Empire. Some of the inhabitants of that city are Hebrews. They're descendants of people who 150 years ago had been conquered by the Babylonians and their city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed and they had been led off into exile. But then the Babylonians had been conquered by the Persians and the leaders were a little more lenient. And so in the course of the years to come, they had allowed some of the Hebrews to make the 800-mile journey uh, back to their ancestral home. Now, Nehemiah is a Hebrew. He has a job. He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes I, and he has a great job. He has, every day he's in the presence of the king, you know, and, and he gets to work in the palace. But never mind the fact that he has to taste the food and taste the wine and make sure there's no poison in it. But other than that, he's got a great job with the king. But he's a trusted member of the king's court. Now, Nehemiah, here's some people talking about Jerusalem and about the people who had returned. And, and so he asks them, he says, look, he said, how are things back there? How are the people? How, how's the city? And the report that they get or that he, they give him is of a dire situation. The people are suffering and they're struggling. Plus, the walls, the protection around the city of Jerusalem it's just, it's ruined. They have no protection. They have no protection. It's a terrible situation. And listen to how Nehemiah responds to that bad news. Nehemiah 1.4. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears about the devastation. And he's devastated. What happens is, Nehemiah develops a burden. He has a burden for what's going on back there. He has a burden for the condition of the people. He has a burden for the ruined walls around Jerusalem. It's more than just a surface concern. It's more than just a passing interest. It's a real burden that there's something that, that he needs to do to change the situation. You know, just like Nehemiah, I really believe that God puts a burden on the heart of every believer. I, I really do that. You know, sometimes it's a real obvious burden that he gives us. Sometimes it takes us a while uh, to figure it out. But I, I really believe that if we are really going to be effective followers of Jesus Christ, we have to really be in tune to the burden that God has put on our heart. I think there are a lot of churches all over the place that are busy and they're doing all sorts of things and they look like they're, they're doing great things, but there's no burden behind it. So they're just kind of going through the motions. They're going through the motions of things that they've done over and over and over again for years, but there's no 
burden on their hearts for the people that they're serving. There's no burden on their heart for their community. There's no burden on their heart for children or youth or adults in their church. And, and they're just going through the motions. And I pray that we're not one of those churches. Nehemiah heard about the devastation. And he wept. He wept. And in the same way, before I think that we can rebuild ruined lives in a ruined world, we too have to weep over the ruins. Last week I had mentioned that I believe God gives us all a burden, but I don't necessarily believe that God gives us all the same burden. You know, one of us might have a burden for children's ministry. One of us might have a burden for mission work. One of us might have a burden for helping adults grow. One of us might have a burden for the homeless and the poor in our community. And if that's your burden, that's great. But a lot of times what we do is we make other people feel guilty because they don't share our burden. Well, how can you be a Christian if you don't share this burden that I have? Well, simply it's because God doesn't give us all the same burden. Something that we've learned from Nehemiah, Die Hanke writes that when God gives you a burden, it doesn't go away. Like a stone in your shoe, it's always there in a good way. I, I believe that, that God indeed, as believers, gives us a burden. Uh, sometimes a burden that he gives to us requires immediate response. I'll give you an example. Uh, sometimes in the spring in the southern part of the state, we have floods. When a flood strikes, uh, you need to respond immediately. So those are situations where if you hear about it, you would immediately need to go and do something. But I really think that, that most of the burdens that God gives us are, are burdens that really, over a period of time, we not only develop the burden, but also we have to prepare for how we're going to respond. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today with Nehemiah. One thing's for sure, though, when God puts a burden on your heart, inaction is not an option. Nehemiah had a burden for Jerusalem and for the people. And he was not going to rest until he did something about it. So how did Nehemiah respond? Nehemiah hears the bad news and we find out that he wept and he fasted. And he, did he go out and hop on the first caravan back to Jerusalem? No, he didn't do that. We find out that he prayed. Nehemiah prayed. He took his burden to God. And the prayer that we're going to be looking at today may not have been just a one-time prayer that he sat down and prayed, but rather it's a kind of a summary of, of a long period of time that he took this burden to God. But regardless, it gives us some great insight of how we, as God's people, need to pray when God either is putting a burden on our heart or has put one there. And we need to respond. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5. Then I said, and this is his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah begins his prayer by acknowledging God. He praises God for who he is and he praises God for what he's done. He acknowledges that, that God is in control of everything. He acknowledges that God is totally set apart from all beings. And he acknowledges that God keeps his promises. 
That's how he starts his prayer. You know, when we take a burden to God in prayer, I think it's important for us to begin our prayer by acknowledging who God is. It's not that we are coming to God and we think, well, if we flatter God, he'll probably hear our prayer and, and he'll answer. That, that's not what this is talking about. And this is far more really than just a simple recognition of who God is. Really what I think this is, is for us, it's a way to help us to focus for one. You focus on the one that you're praying to. And it's awesome when you think about the God that you're praying to. You need to focus on that. But I also think that it's an act of surrender. It's an act of surrender. When we realize who God is, then we have no choice but to surrender our will to His, to surrender our power to His, and to surrender control of the situation to Him. Verse 6 He continues his prayer. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. The next thing Nehemiah does is he identifies with the people, past and also present. And he identifies with their sins. And and he takes the sins before the Lord. Nehemiah goes and and he confesses the sins. And he doesn't just throw out a very, very general, well, Lord, just forgive all our sins. No, he's very specific. He, He lays them out. Here are the things that we have done for you. And Nehemiah becomes an intercessor for the people. But did you notice something? Nehemiah uses we. Nehemiah doesn't just go to God and say, Look, God, I I really want you to forgive these people for what they've done. No, Nehemiah says, We're the ones that have sinned. Nehemiah identifies with these people. And, And this is such an important part to me. That Nehemiah... He is 150 years and 800 miles removed from the original problem. But yet when he comes to God, not only does he pray for the sins of the people, but he prays for his own sins and he prays for his part in whatever's going on. Here's why this speaks to me is because when we have a burden and when we go to God in prayer... You know, I I really think that we need to pray for the people or the situation that that we have the burden for. But I think part of it is also confessing our sin and confessing our part in whatever either created the situation or allows it to continue. If we have a burden for the community... If we have a burden for our community, we certainly should go out and we should pray for our community and we should pray for the situations in our community. But I also think we need to pray for ourselves and to confess whatever part we have either in causing the situation or in allowing the situation to continue because of our apathy. I think if God has put a burden on our heart for the poor and for the homeless, I certainly think that we need to go and 
And we need to ask for, for forgiveness for the sins in general of society that might have caused this to happen. But at the same time, we have to pray for ourselves and confess our own sins for our own part in causing the problem or our own part in allowing it to continue because we've done nothing. That's an important part of this prayer is Nehemiah identifies with the people. He identifies with the problem. He identifies with the sin. He identifies with it all. He's not removed from it. I think it's important that we learn from that. You know, Nehemiah wept over the ruins. But weeping over the burdens that... Weeping over what burdens us also involves weeping over our part and allowing the situation to either happen or to continue to exist. Verse 8 Nehemiah continues and he says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exile people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from, from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah asked God to remember the covenant that he made with his people, that if they were disobedient, which they were, then they would suffer the consequences, which they were doing. But Nehemiah also knows that the people who return to him, who repent and who return to him, that God is a God of mercy, and God is a God of forgiveness, and, and God is a God of restoration. Why is Nehemiah reminding God of what he said? Does God really need reminded of what he says? Is it really our place to remind God of what he says? I, I used to sometimes, when I w would hear people pray, and, and, and in their prayer, they might say something like, and, and Lord, you know it says in your word that if blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll quote scripture to God in their prayer. And I always found that odd. I'm thinking, <laughs> why are you doing that? God knows what he said. We're the ones that need to know what he said. But that's kind of the whole point. It's not so much that we're reminding God of what he said but rather we're reminding ourselves. We're reminding ourselves of God's promises, of what he says in his word, and not just of his promises, but what part we need to have in that. You know, Nehemiah is well aware that the people who sinned were led into captivity because of that sin. But Nehemiah also needs to know that there's hope here. There's hope for restoration. I love what Psalm 130 says. Verse 7, it's, at the end it says, For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Nehemiah continues this prayer in, in verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was a cupbearer to the king. 
Nehemiah ends his prayer with a very practical request. Nehemiah asks for an opportunity to approach the king and share with him the burden that's on his heart and to get time off so he can go and deal with this burden. Now, he's praying that God might stir the king's heart so that he can have success. You've got to remember that even though this king might have been open to the Hebrews practicing their own religion, he was not one of them. So Nehemiah's prayer, part of it at least, is there's this pagan king, and I I want you to soften his heart. But here, there's also a realization on Nehemiah's part that even though he has a very important role in the king's inner circle, so to speak, he's trusted by the king, but he cannot bring it up on his own. He can't go in and say, excuse me, king, I need to ask you about something. Can I take some time off? No. He's got to pray that God will soften the king's heart, but also that God will create an opportunity for Nehemiah to approach the king with his request. It's a realization on Nehemiah's part that he can't do it alone. But he knows that God can. And he includes it in his prayer. Charles Swindoll, actually, this is a kind of a summary of a few sentences, uh, has has said that, that prayer forces us to leave the situation with God. Prayer forces us to leave the situation with God. Nehemiah goes to God in prayer, and he leaves the timing and the softening of the king's heart All up to God. That's what Nehemiah does here at the end of his prayer. He knows that mistakes happen when you act out of impatience. No matter how well-meaning you might be. Nehemiah also knows that you can have a passion for something. But you're going to make mistakes if you don't have patience. He also realizes that you can try to manipulate a situation and you can try to go in there and make it happen on your own without God's help but he also realizes that that's going to lead to disaster as well leaving it with God does a couple of things one it takes away the anxiety when you go to God and when you pray and when you leave the situation with God it takes the anxiety out of it And if you're in tune with God, you know that God will open the door when the time is right. You don't have to worry about it. Nehemiah was trusting. And I want to show you what kind of trust and what kind of patience Nehemiah had. Because at the very beginning of Nehemiah, in chapter 1, it says it takes place in the month of Kislev, which is late November, early December. When he actually has an opportunity to speak to the king in chapter 2, it's the month of Nisan. That's April. Four months between the time of Nehemiah's prayer and the time the opportunity came. Four months. Four months. It's incredible the patience 
that he has. But he doesn't have any anxiety about it because he left it with God. He left it with God. The beginning of chapter 2. Guess what God does? God opens the door. Nehemiah, as chapter 2 starts, Nehemiah is going about his daily job. He's going about bringing the wine to the king. But something interesting happens. Nehemiah doesn't initiate the conversation because he knows that God will take care of things. But guess who initiates the conversation? It's the king. Now, the king notices that Nehemiah looks sad. That's not a good thing. Because if you work for the king, the king didn't want people around him who look sad. So Nehemiah was smart enough, or at least we hope he was, not to come in with a sad face to work every day. I know if I have somebody who's in charge of my life and bringing me my food that may be poisoned, and I know they've checked it first, I want them happy. I don't want them sad and gloomy because I'm going to think something's going on. And people in the king's court sometimes, you either lost your job or you may be put to death if you were gloomy. But the king notices something about Nehemiah, and he says, why, why, are, you, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? You're not sick. There must be some sadness in your heart. God opens the door. Boom, a big door. And what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah walks right in. And Nehemiah's response is, well, he says, you'd be sad too. If the city that, that you love was in ruins. God opened the door. Nehemiah walked through it. During those four months, I'm sure Nehemiah continued to pray. I'm sure Nehemiah planned. It doesn't mean if you plan and, or leave it all with God that, that you don't have to do anything. I believe that God can lead you in a time of, of planning and preparation. But Nehemiah was prepared so that when God opened the door, he walked right through it. The king asked him the question. He jumped at the opportunity. When we go to God in prayer and when we leave the situation with God, Don't have any anxiety about it. If you are trusting, God will open the door. But you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to walk through when he does. Here's the second thing that leaving it with God does. Is, is it produces confidence. You see, if God opens the door, you know something good is about to happen. It's his timing. He opens the door. He, you walk through it. Expect something good to happen. God's not going to open the door, shove you through it, and say, well, I was just kidding. Uh, ha-ha, joke's on you. No. Nehemiah has confidence because he knows this is God's doing. And so he says in verse 4, well, the king says to him, look, what do you want? What do you want? Nehemiah says, then I prayed to God, the God of heaven. Nehemiah gets in another little prayer there. And I asked the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. Nehemiah, as I said, sneaks in another 
little prayer. He wants to make sure he uses the right words here. But he boldly answers the king. There's no hesitation. The king says, what do you want? What do you want? Then comes the little curve. The little, oh, wasn't expecting that one. He says, uh, when are you coming back? <laughs> How long are you going to be gone? Guess what? Didn't catch Nehemiah off guard a bit. He answered the question. He gave the king a time. Why? Because he was, he, he'd prepared. God had prepared him. God had prepared him. And he had confidence. And so he responded. And here's the neat thing. Because of his newfound boldness. His newfound boldness in verse 7 and 8. It says, I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah, for four months, trusted God, spent the time preparing, and when God opened the door, Nehemiah confidently stepped through it. He got time off. He set a time. The king said, okay. But you see, Nehemiah is confident. So he's going, well, while I'm here, I'm going to ask for it all. And so he does. And by the time it's all said and done, not only does Nehemiah have time off, but he has his ticket to Jerusalem. He has free timber to rebuild the gates. And he has enough to build a house for himself. Nehemiah confidently went before the king. But Nehemiah is quick to point out that it wasn't him. It wasn't him. It wasn't his doing. It wasn't his craftiness. He says that I was able to do this because the gracious hand of God was on me. Why was God's hand on Nehemiah? God's hand was not on Nehemiah just because he had a burden and because he wept. God's hand was on Nehemiah not just because he prayed. Just because we go to God and throw out some words, it's not enough. God's hand was on Nehemiah because he trusted. He trusted. And we see the results. God's going to give you a burden for someone, for something, for some situation. And as you develop that burden, you're going to weep. But you also need to take it to God in prayer. Because before you act, as Nehemiah has shown us, you need to take it to Him. You need to pray. And when you do that, the anxiety that you feel about, well, how am I going to work all this out? 
You don't have to worry about that. You've left it with God. You just have to keep preparing and be open when God opens the door or be ready when God opens the door. And then when he does, you've got to be confident. You've prayed. You've prepared. You've trusted him. He's opened the door. If he's opened it, be confident. Walk in. And be bold when you get there. Well, you know, I just made it this far. I'm going to wait right here. No, Nehemiah went for it all. Nehemiah said, I I don't just want time off. I want a letter. Give me a ticket. I want stuff to build with. I'm going to need a house to live in. That's what we need to be about. Be patient and pray and seek God. But man, when the door opens, go for it. Go for it with all you have. Confident. Because you trusted God. And he came through in the end. We're going to take just a moment as we ask our band to to come. And we're going to, uh, as we end our service today, we're going to do it in a little bit different way. First of all, what I want you to do is, is I, I want you just to think, and, and maybe if you were here last week, maybe you've been thinking about this all week and praying about it. What's the burden that God's put on your heart? What's the burden? Now remember, it's not just what are you burdened with, like a bunch of bills and health and all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about. What, what is the burden for someone else in someone else's situation what, what has God put on your heart? Is there one there? If there's not, don't feel guilty. We just need to realize that he's got one for us. And we need to be open to finding it. But if God has put a burden on your heart, how have you responded? Have you just sat around and said, man, that's a terrible situation. I, I wish there was something I could do about it. If it's a burden, guess what? There is something you can do about it. And God's going to give you the strength and the power to do that. So I want to pray today. I I just want us to spend some time praying. First of all, again, if there's no burden, if you feel no burden for anything, just pray to God. Say, show me what it is. But if there's one there, you want to to pray a prayer like Nehemiah. And you you want to pray a prayer where you, you take it to God and let him prepare you. And so when the time is right, man, you can go for it. So let's go to God in prayer today. Just talk to him for a while.